Where are my pants? Who cares? You tell that teacher to shut up. Well, I'm not going to look anything up, so. What's my name again? Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that can't swan back and demand a plum roll. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. I'm not going to waste time and money on this. Well, that's why we have a joint checking account. Yeah, that's true. And it's, I mean, once our sunk costs are in, there's really no more money being put out at this point. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I feel good about moving forward. Oh, excellent. Good. Great. (laughs) Welcome back, cousins. Yes. Hello. How are you? It's not been that long. It hasn't been that long. I was thinking that this was coming back from the break, but it's right. not. It's not. But it's a new era. Uh, I mean, in terms of... Well, in terms of Downton's over. Oh, I thought you meant like a Cosmos oh, type situation. <laughs> no. no. This may well be a new astrological era in some reckoning, but I, I don't know about it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to look anything up, so... Yeah. What are we... Like, we're into, like, Aries now, right? Uh, the month? Yes. All right. So there you go. And by the month, I'm... Listen. <laughs> I'm not going to get into this right now. All right. Uh, what I am going to get into is our Cousin of the Week. Okay. This comes from Cousin Allison, who writes, Dear Cousins Kelly and Tom, So for once, I'm not emailing you about my kids' reaction to your podcast. <laughs> I instead am writing to hopefully reassure Kelly that Edith, while clearly uninformed about pregnancy, was not necessarily an idiot in having sex during what was clearly a very fertile time for her. I think you may have covered some of the following in your podcast before, but you seem to have forgotten in your frustration with Baron Fellows, so I apologize if I am repeating anything you have already said. Uh, I'm going to double down on that apology. (laughs) While I agree it is annoying that characters in dramas too often get pregnant the only time they have sex, though to be fair, Rose hasn't, and neither did Anna from The Rape, the latter of which you and I think most watchers feared. True. I can hopefully argue that Edith, the character, would most probably not have had all the correct information to properly time her loss of virginity to prevent pregnancy. In fact, she could have been using the information available to her and still easily have gotten pregnant. The reason that modern-day natural family planning advocates are so quick to distance themselves from the traditional rhythm method is that the traditional rhythm method was notoriously ineffective. Not just because checking mucus and temperatures is more accurate than using calendar days alone, and not just because calendar days alone are different for every woman, but because even perfect 28-day cycle women were told that the wrong days were the most fertile ones. And even that rhythm method did not exist in the 1930s. Throughout human history, many experts around the world believed that the most fertile days were during or directly after the menstrual cycle. This was not completely crazy, as humans would have been well aware of various domestic animals in which this actually was the case. Hmm. Dogs, for instance, are in heat while they menstruate, a fact confirmed by science in the early 19th century. Most advocates in the 19th century believed this was the case with humans, too, but there was tons of conflicting information. In the late 19th century, the Catholic Church started the work with scientists to determine the best way to limit family size without resorting to artificial means. They continued this advocacy after 1930, when the Anglican Church did reverse its position on artificial birth control, but the Catholic Church reaffirmed it. In the 1920s, Austrian and Japanese doctors independently concluded correctly that the woman's most fertile days were actually in the middle of the month. The first organized attempt to further this information as a method of birth control was not until 1930 when a Dutch Catholic physician promoted the new semi-accurate rhythm method as a way of preventing pregnancy. 
This method was published in a 1932 volume, Leo J. Latz's The Rhythm of Sterility and Fertility in Women. This book sold 200,000 copies by 1942. For me, I can tell you this new method still wouldn't have worked as it stated women ovulate between 12, days 12 and 16 of their cycle. And I found out during my own struggle with infertility that I ovulate closer to day 18. But it clearly worked for my Catholic grandma who had three perfectly timed children in the 1940s and 50s. Check out this cool picture of a fertility rhythm meter. We will post that on the Facebook wall. Sure. <laughs> of course we will. Anyhow, Edith could have been using outdated information to time her cycle, and then on top of that been using an ineffective form of birth control, say the popular douching method, had sex once and gotten pregnant. In fact, she actually could have made herself more likely to get pregnant. To be fair, I don't think the writers thought this through, but luckily, we all care more. <laughs> As a bonus, here's a fun theory I read on a discussion board about what happened to the baby daddy. Props to Caroline Esso, who came up with it, not me. If we are now in 1923, I'm guessing Gregson will get caught up in Hitler's Beer Hall Putsch, which took place that November in Munich and landed him in jail for a few months. I think Gregson is being developed as a Sir Oswald Mosley character, the man who founded the British Union of Fascists and married Lady Diana Mitford. Both spent the better part of World War II in prison for being Nazi sympathizers. Neither ever renounced their beliefs. I like this theory. Nazis make all dramas more interesting. As always, fabulous podcast. Your take on Warren G. Harding had me on the ground laughing, Cousin Allison. <laughs> well, thank you, Cousin Allison. Yes. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to point this out, you know, being the pro-choice podcast that we are. True. Uh, just wanted to make it clear, if you would prefer natural family planning, I've always been an advocate of this method. Yeah. Uh, but it's just so interesting to me that it wasn't even developed until the 30s. Yeah, and that is that is interesting to me as well because it seems like – I mean it's not like sort of you know the germ theory or anything like that. Like you know, people have been having sex and periods and babies as long as there have been people. And it's just surprising to me that, that nobody had been able – I mean you know, I, I get it. Well, I mean, look, women's health is never a priority because it means that doctors, you know, male doctors have to talk about their icky lady parts all the time. Well, I understand. And look at them and they don't want to do that. I know, but dudes also don't like having babies sometimes. So you'd think they would know. You but uh, would be wrong. Clearly. clearly, I would be wrong. And I would also like to say that I appreciate that Sir, uh, Sir Oswald Mosley theory because that's exactly who I was thinking of. When I idly speculated in our previous episode about Lord Grantham becoming a fascist, which mm -hmm. I don't think will happen, but Oswald Mosley is exactly the yeah, I mean, I, template I was thinking of. I like the idea of him getting caught up in the beer hall putsch, mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't see Gregson coming back. I don't know. I'd like him to come back. He doesn't seem like the Nazi type, though. Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that many people got their start in the Nazi party by picking a fight with Nazis. Yeah, good point. Like, I don't see that working out. But, you know, Lord knows Julian Fellows is capable of anything. That's true. That's absolutely true. Literally. Yeah. At any rate, uh, thank you for writing in, Cousin Alice. Yes, absolutely. And uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at five, the number five, Maggie Smith's. Search for us on Facebook, up yours downstairs, exclamation point, or just send us an old-fashioned telegram, up yours downstairs at gmail.com. That is correct. 
At any rate, it is time to stop talking about Julian Fellows. <laughs> That's right. Because it is now Screw time. Screw you, Julian. Yeah. Guess who it's time for now? Eyeliner. It is eyeliner time. Ah, oh, it's like hammer time, <laughs> but with more makeup. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and less ridiculous pants. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, we've only ever seen him, like, from chest up. Yeah. Lord knows what he was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> naked as a jaybird uh yeah so uh time to embark upon mr selfridge season two episode one we're uh thrilled very thrilled listen we're very happy yeah uh we watched the first two episodes right spoiler alert we won't get into the second episode here right uh because we intend as always to be a week behind uh yeah (laughs) you know what we really did intend to be caught up but with my travel schedule and yeah it, it just didn't work our out life schedules so you know that's um, fine it's just you know we're making it last a little longer yeah like big red if if you don't like it go listen to another mr selfridge podcast oh wait there actually there may be others yeah i was gonna say you're you're pretty arrogant for somebody <laughs> who hasn't looked since last year well there weren't any last year and i'm sure that that will never change what would you call a mr selfridge podcast <laughs> hmm Leclerc's lair. <laughs> the spirit of Selfridges. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. That is. Um, Marvilius. <laughs> Just nobody would ever find that. Um, <laughs> Marvilius always sounds like a Harry Potter house to me. <laughs> That's true. And then there's the fifth house, Marvilius. <laughs> it's just a peach shed down by the river. They haven't won the House Cup since 1253, when all the other houses were dead. (laughs) Uh, Okay, anyway. The important thing is, it's Mr. Selfridge. Yes. With its jaunty, jaunty opening credits, which... Which, uh, Oh, man. Look, their opening credits kick Downton Abbey's credits as ass. I agree. Look. They kicked down Abby's credits right in the ass of that dog that opens <laughs> down Abby credits. Somebody, ah, was it Cousin Leonard? Somebody was writing in, because we were talking about being excited about Mr. Selfridge or me, like we were more excited. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, you know, he finds more emotional resonance in Downton Abbey. And, like, I agree with that. Right. Like, I don't think we like anything better than Downton Abbey. Right. I think what we will say about Selfridge is that it is much more interested in the things that we're interested in. Yes. As, you know, based on the title of our podcast, Up Yours Downstairs. Like, yeah. Downton Abbey is not that interested in the class struggle and it hasn't been since Branson got back from Ireland. No. Like oh, that, God, no. It just doesn't care about that anymore, which... It's still, like, better written, I guess. Or, I mean, I still see why you think it's better, and you're probably right. There's no objective answer. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Selfridge is just engaging with things in a different way. Right. And we like that. Yeah. And it's also only had one season and not four, which is, you know, just gives it a natural advantage in Uh terms of not having... Yeah, not having done everything twice. Or done anything stupid. (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, we'll see how we'll see where it is after the end of this season, uh, which features the talents of one Polly Walker. That's right, aka Atia of the Julii uh-huh. from HBO's Rome, who we love. Yes, and is awesome. Very and spoiler exciting. alert: continues to be awesome yes. on this show. Yes, she does. It's fantastic. Yes, that 
is one of our most exciting casting things that's ever happened. Yeah, I basically want to be Polly Walker when I grow up. It's a, it's a good plan. I know. I That would work out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. Polly Walker might have a thing or two to say about that. <laughs> I suppose she might. But to find out, we'll have to start recapping Mr. Selfridge. That is true. Right. Okay, so we open up with uh, a pretty standard bustling at Selfridge's montage. Everybody's running around getting things together. Uh, we see a sign put up. It is apparently the fifth anniversary of Selfridge's. So that tells us it has been, like, what, four years since we well, last... Well, the series started in 1909, so we're in 1914. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying since we last saw any of yes, these characters, yes. it's been... Oh, know, I see. Where you... It's been between four You're and... doing math. <laughs> yes, no I am. No wonder I didn't follow. <laughs> That's right. And so we see uh, Grove telling Kitty that she's needed upstairs, and she has some new some new person working with her, a brunette that's kind of tall. Uh, we see Crab and Martle, who is working with another new person who is rounder and blonder, and seems much more of a replacement for uh, Doris. Yeah, the you know new Mrs. Grove. Ah, yeah, right. Why would you want that? Anyway. And the montage ends with uh, a box with a fancy hat in it being opened, which yes. I thought was very appropriate. It's like, da-da-da-da-da, and here's this very nice-looking hat. Welcome to Selfridges. <laughs> it's appropriate. Yeah. At Selfridges' house, he's wearing his weird glasses. Were the weird glasses in last season? No, I think I think this is, a, this is... Or may, no, what if they're the glasses that Jeremy Piven insisted on wearing in all of his interviews? <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Right? That's right. He was like, I feel like Sulfur Chef's glasses. <laughs> These like, really speak to me. Yeah, like he's older and like, you know, probably his eyes are bad. <laughs> I'm sure it was, eyeliner seems pretty on top of it. I'm sure this is like a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he's being uh, interviewed by a reporter who wants to know what it's like to uh, be the proprietor of the biggest attraction in London. And he points out that he's only the third biggest attraction right. after Buckingham Palace and the Tower of London. Right. Which he takes the appropriate amount of pride in. Yes. Uh, no- notably not on that list, the new site of the Crystal Palace, the Royal Exhibition, mm-hmm. uh, etc. Anyway. Yeah, the beach. <laughs> That's right. Penny licks. They should have. They should have had a staff outing to Selfridges. So during the interview, there's a little cutaway to the Palm Court. Uh, Victor's in charge now, right? Having replaced our favorite old pimp, <laughs> right? Um, he, he's perhaps moved on to just straight up pimping and stopped stopped the charade. His he was one living. true love. <laughs> and uh, now there's also like a weird new waiter. Yeah, that's. It's gross. Yeah. We don't like it. <laughs> well, it's just, it's him inspecting all their hands, which is not a pleasant sight. No. Anyway. Hands. Only marginally less creepy than feet. <laughs> right. I mean, when you really get down to it, like, sure, they're fun to hold, but have you really looked at one? <laughs> we recommend that you don't. No, please don't. <laughs> uh, the reporter then starts hinting darkly about how Mr. Selfridge's family is back in America and Mr. Selfridge tries to, you know, shut it down and say that the girls are finishing their education there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just basically shuts the interview down at that point. Which you'd think that these reporters would have, like, caught on to. But, like, it's been it's been some time right, that they've been right. gone. So, yeah, it, you know, those questions were for the benefit of us at home. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so we see him, Selfridge, that is, riding in his car, engrossed in a newspaper. He gets out at Selfridges. There's a whole bunch of reporters milling around as they do and shouting questions. 
Uh, one of the porters at the door leans in to tell Mr. Grove that Selfridge is there. Uh, apparently he is early, so Grove is very uh, startled and running around trying to do things. Uh, Selfridge walks in and really just ignores everyone. He's holding the paper like right up to his face. And everybody keeps trying to be like, oh, well, look at our display. Or, oh, did you see the banner? And he's like, nope, reading this article about me. Can't listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. There's a telegram from Martle that Grove gives to her just so we can see them being awkward together for a moment. Victor and that weird guy and George, George Towler, are all lugging some heavy thing on a little trolley. They're pulling it upstairs. Instead of using the elevator? Instead of using the elevator for what I'm sure very good reasons. (laughs) Perhaps a service elevator of some kind as might be used for these things. And then Selfridge gets in the elevator with Grove and Plunkett, who sends the elevator to Palm Court. And Selfridge asks Plunkett, why are we going to Palm Court? And we all ask, who is Plunkett? And what have you done with Blankensop? Right. This is not good. The cry goes out from across the land, Blankensop! Mm-hmm. But there is no answer. There is no answer because Blankensop is gone. Yeah, and it's just Plunkett, which is very sad. It's not as fun to yell. No. You can't just yell, Plunkett! Yeah. Because it just sounds like a turd dropping into a toilet. <laughs> yeah, and she is, you know, older and smaller and sturdier. She looks like she should be Mr. Krabs' assistant. She does, yes. She's very crab She looks like she may be Mr. Krabs' cousin. Yeah, that may be the case. <laughs> it could be. For all we know. Upstairs on the Palm Court level, Crab is shooing people in various directions. Uh, as they get off the elevator, he very flusteredly tells Mr. Selfridge that, oh, uh, somebody needs to talk to you. It's uh, Thackeray. So here's Mr. Thackeray, who sharp-eyed viewers may recognize. <gasps> he was Lang. He was The Lang. shell-shocked soldier, which is difficult to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, who befriended Miss O'Brien on Downton Abbey Series 2. That is correct. And he is here playing a uh, much less shell-shocked... Yeah, he looks a lot happier. Although, yes. what if... <laughs> He gets drafted. That's true. And then it turns out he is Lang. He does not appear to be ready for the rigors of life in the trenches. Or really anything. Right. He is very... He's poncy. He's very poncy. He's a quite he, a poncy boy. Yes. he He's very elfin, perhaps, or something. Um, Elfin in the Tolkien sense of being elfin. I guess so. Yeah. Maybe. He, he's wearing a bow tie. He's wearing a bow tie. His cheeks are rosy. Um, his, so he's a thin Santa Claus. He's, yes, he's a very thin Santa Claus. Uh, Except it, I don't remember Santa Claus being such a dick. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. <laughs> For the moment, Thackeray merely wants to spin some random bullshit to distract Selfridge about how he wants to do mannequins and how at the place he used to work at, they had this Russian mannequin maker that they hear used to be mistress to the czar, <gasps> which is interesting not necessarily a recommendation in the field of mannequin construction but tom you can't really build a mannequin until you've slept with a czar like i used to work in retail i know these things okay look they'd send us mannequins and we'd say we'd say uh excuse me who made this mannequin has she ever seen the business end of a czar's dick send it back we're gonna stick with good old babushka um <laughs> Sashanka. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh that is a story I made up <laughs> about mannequins. Yeah. 
It's, if you're wondering why there's never any new mannequins around, it's because there's no more czars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, comrade. That's <laughs> why we have to make them now out of sticks and stones. And, uh, you know, wire hangers. Sure. So everybody's, you know, gone from the downstairs now. Right. Uh, but who should waltz in but Agnes Teller? Oh. Uh, she's wearing a very fancy hat and yes. she looks around. We were concerned. <laughs> we were not sure where she had been and why she was late. Right. Uh, or if she still worked there. Yeah. like It's it, very ambiguous. It is very ambiguous. I do like that about eyeliner. Eyeliner is such a tease. He is a Julian tease. Julian Fellows is always like, bong, <laughs> bong. Here's the thing and the symbolism. Bong. <laughs> right. Here's a poorly edited sequence of Branson running around <laughs> in some bushes that represent Ireland. Bong. And Actually, the, if you think about it, that was the most ambiguous thing that's was. ever happened on Downton Abbey. <laughs> You're right. But Eyeliner is like, oh, here's Agnes. What's her deal? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you like to know? Oh, where are my pants? <laughs> Who cares? Get me more eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh eyeliner (laughs) i hope you're half as delightful if we as we have just made you sound Uh, upstairs in the palm court it's a surprise party for selfridge i mean duh yeah we all know if you hadn't figured that out (laughs) stop listening to this podcast right now that's right uh but everybody what a george tower you must be (laughs) Even George knew what was up. I mean, he had to lug that uh, mysterious burden around. Yeah. The mysterious burden being a statue of Mr. Selfridge. It's just a bust. It's just a bust. That's In the true. Hall of Fame. Yes. And uh, again, in terms of portrayals of Selfridge family members that we have seen on this show. <laughs> <laughs> it this is... ranks below painting. Right. Like that painting is still the gold standard. Yeah, this ranks well below painting. It's yeah. just a fairly mediocre bronze bust. Uh, but Which is like, look, you know, guess what, everyone? If I ever do anything noteworthy, don't get me a reproduction of my face. Okay. As a gift. Like, uh, get me a reproduction of, like, Christian Bale's face. Okay. Hold on. I need to cancel some orders. How many busts of me did you have made? <laughs> None. <laughs> if that's what you're asking. It, I asked you very plainly. <laughs> it was very clear. Selfridge, however... Stupid joint checking account. <laughs> does not feel as you do on this subject uh, he's you know suitably gratified and he gives a good standard selfridge speech about loyalty and working together etc as he is giving this speech agnes walks up and joins the crowd at the back and they see each other and he kind of gives her a nod and she gives him a nod so things are all right mm-hmm. so mr grove sees agnes and goes over and talks to her and it turns out she's been in paris yeah uh also mr grove what the hell's going on with your hair man right what the hell because it's not like it looks like his hair last season except it's like standing up weirdly it looks it looks like he's trying out for a community theater production of there's something about mary And he's trying out for the Cameron Diaz role of Mary. <laughs> right. Uh, no. Which he's not well suited for. No, he's, he's not. He's much more of a, uh, uh, what's his? Tucker. Tucker. <laughs> Look, I know 
a lot about that movie for some reason. That's fine. Oh, it's because one time I was at a friend's house and her dad was watching Comedy Central and it was just like this like making of there's something about Mary <laughs> thing hosted by Harland Williams and, who played that hitchhiker. And why not? <laughs> uh, it was great. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, Harlan Williams. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Agnes's hair looks much better than Mr. Gross. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the other waiter who we've chosen to call Igor <laughs> because he is ungainly and tall and terrifying. Yeah. He's just got a bit of a Bella Lugosi thing. So he asks Victor who Agnes is. Victor says that she's the one that left. Yeah. Well, cause Igor is like, oh, she's the one who got away and Victor gets very snitty. Right. And it's like, which is um, sort of his thing. You're kind of ugly. Yeah. Fat Thomas. <laughs> you're right. Why are you not? Yeah. Why are we not calling him by his proper name? <laughs> because Victor takes less time to type. <laughs> <laughs> you're very lazy and I don't appreciate this. <laughs> anyway, Kitty is head of cosmetics, which is now its own department. Yes. Uh, with the same smug, uh, look on her face that she had when we last encountered her <laughs> right and as it turns out agnes is head of displays across all departments right uh so she's the new mr leclerc yeah and uh george is shocked to see her yes because she has undergone a transformation which has involved putting on far too much rouge yeah a lot of rouge in this episode everybody in this episode is wearing way too much rouge and i don't know if that's a period de- Wait, this is eyeliner we're talking about. He was like, go to Sephora. Clean them out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do think, and it may be in the second hour, but they do sort of talk specifically about how rouge is like a big thing now and everybody's wearing it all the time. So I I think it's at least semi-intentional. Yeah, I just wish they were blending a little bit better. Well, As somebody who took a long time to figure out how to blend. They didn't have your guidance. Man, they should have Mr. Leclerc's guidance. I bet he knows how to rouge it up <laughs> in the Moulin Rouge. <laughs> let's uh, just move on. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, at Loxley House, Lady May is just about ready to go out, but her maid... Oh my god, her maid. Yeah. Oh my god, her maid, you guys. Yeah. Oh my god. It's like O'Brien's like less attractive cousin. Right. Who has tuberculosis. Yes. Like, it is woof. Yeah. Uh, and she looks no better for the fact that she has bad news to deliver, which is that Lord Loxley <gasps> has just arrived and that he has a lot of luggage and appears to be ready to stay. Mm-hmm. And the maid, the maid's expression, I'll say this for her, she clearly communicates A, that she is unhappy about it, and B, knows that Lady May is going to be even more unhappy about yes. it. Um... Yeah, and so he comes in, he says, apparently there are some new opportunities in London that he has. Lady May says that she's just going out to Selfridges, and he's like, oh, that place, they just sent me another bill and all this sort of thing. And so he's going to go to Selfridges with her. He is both younger and more attractive than I was expecting him to be. Agreed. He, you know, lays the mascara on a little thick. Again, but- <laughs> look, it's an eyeliner joint. Right. What do you want, man? <laughs> There's nothing to do be done. Do you want him not to wear as much makeup as possible as the Lord intended? Right. But agreed. I was expecting an old doddering Lord mm-hmm. Loxley, and he's not that at all. No. Uh, he is many other things, which yes. we'll get to, but he is is young and virile looking. Right. We wish he would dodder more, quite yes. frankly. 
Mr. Selfridge is uh, looking at his statue, and uh, Rose surprisingly shows up right. to uh, say hello and also look at that statue. <laughs> right. She does not say, he caught you well, <laughs> uh, which was disappointing to me. I want to see that. That would have been great. I want to see that painting next to that. Just the Selfridge Hall of misguided portraiture and sculpture. There's one of Gordon as a child. With that toy car. There's one of Beatrice and the eyes just glow. But like, that wasn't on purpose. Right. And follow you around the room. They're like, yeah, it was white marble when I carved it, but I don't know, the devil. <laughs> right. And I don't know why it makes that sound as of souls crying in anguish. That's <laughs> usually doesn't happen. Eh, it only weeps blood like every 28 days. So it's, yeah, you know. Chicks, am I right? Still looks better than that pink. Uh, we see Agnes walking into the display storeroom that has apparently been abandoned for the last five years. <laughs> like, just yeah. Cluttered and dust everywhere. Uh, so she straightened things up and finds a picture of Mr. LeClaire <gasps> and looks at it for a second and then turns it back down and shoves it back into a pile of Why things. did Monsieur LeClaire have a picture of himself in his own office? <laughs> that is such a good question. Like, I mean, look, if I was him, I'd have hella pictures of myself around. I'd be like, take that, Tilda Swinton. Mm. Was she Tilda Swinton? Uh, what's her fuzz that, that wasn't that Madame Revilius? Yeah. Ms. Uh, Revilius? What was her name? Um, Something French? Yeah, yeah. And then New York, and then all that. Yeah, I keep trying to remember what her name was, but I can't. Yeah, well, we failed. Yep, well, we'll never know what that was, so... (laughs) No way to know. Selfridge is very glad that Rose came back. Uh, She's being very standoffish as, uh, you know, I don't imagine that the intervening four years have inspired (laughs) him with a new level of uh, fidelity, what with her off gallivanting in Chicago. Right. Hardly seems conducive. No. He greets her new friend, Delphine, who is played by Polly Walker. That's right. Rose met her on the boat on the way over, and now they're BFFs. Yeah, they're super BFFs. And Delphine has written a book, and Rose wants to launch it at the store later in the week. And Selfridge agrees. He's like, oh, okay, great. Will you suck my dick now? And she's like, nope, bye. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they leave, and uh, because... Uh, Polly Walker wants to go shopping. Right. And she doesn't want to do by herself. And Mr. Selfridge is, you know, very sad. (laughs) Yeah. But they run into Miss Spender, the very on the nose named (laughs) paramour of Mr. Selfridge. Right. Who's demanding things of the staff in a way that even Ellen Love would agree is particularly classless. Yes. Like, Somehow, Mr. Selfridge has doubled down on chippies. Right. And he's just like, the cheaper, the better, and keep them coming. Yeah. Blonder, cheaper, crasser. Yeah, just, ugh. Yeah. She's very distasteful. And yeah. pointed out to... Uh, he's like, you know, ever since I saw that play, I've decided that all my lovers should have ironic names. <laughs> Blankensop, get me some ironic tortoiseshell glasses. <laughs> And that was the day Miss Blankensop quit. (laughs) 
Anyway, Rose points Miss Spender out to Delphine and being like, uh, yeah, that, that fool is definitely tapping that and nothing ever changes. Yeah. And, uh, we're like, okay, fair enough, Rose. Yeah. Fair play. Lord and Lady Loxley arrive at the store. Uh, and Lady May is greeted, uh, very familiarly by all the, uh, clerks there. Kitty has a facial cream that she has previously ordered. Another woman has some, there are new, some new handbags in and they make each one of them differently so that no lady will have the same bag as anyone else. Uh, but Lord Loxley nixes all these purchases. She's not buying anything today. A Selfridge comes up and greets Lady May. She introduces Lord Loxley. Mr. Selfridge says it's a pleasure to meet him, holds out his hand, and Lord Loxley shuns him. Like, if you thought it was awkward when uh, the Prince of Wales wouldn't shake uh, right. Mac H's hand in Downton Abbey, this is, like, one of the meanest things yeah. we have seen on Mr. Selfridge. Yeah, because at least the Prince of Wales was the Prince of Wales. Yeah. Like, this is just some dick lord. He's very short. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so after not shaking hands, he says that he will be closing Lady May's account effective immediately, and uh, there's no need to discuss it, blah, And blah, he's blah, also blah. not paying her outstanding balance. That's right. And uh, is a dick, and he tries to head off and very peremptorily summons Lady May after him. And Selfridge says not to talk to her that way. He says that she's his wife. He will talk to her any way he chooses. And Selfridge says that no gentleman speaks to a lady that way in his store. Loxley huffs up about being called not a gentleman, and Lady May breaks up the whole thing and and pulls Lord Loxley away. But uh, it's it's a tense scene. And Lord Loxley is very, very quickly and efficiently established as a villain. It's interesting, too, because you see Lady May in a way... Like, we've never seen her... Right. ...diminished like this. And yeah. And she's very unhappy, but she's... You know, there's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, very clear now when we were surprised last season when she was so adamant about women's suffrage, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense now if she's married to this kind of person. Right. And I just wonder, like, what was their relationship like before they got married? Like, I mean, she was a showgirl. Right. And he married her. I just, I don't understand what the basis of it would have been. I don't know. And, you know, that may be revealed later, but it's baffling at this juncture. Yeah. Uh, and they, they go out to the car and, and Lord Loxley continues being threatening to May and saying not to push him and so forth. Mr. Selfridge goes into the storeroom, which Agnes is now putting in order. Mm-hmm. Basically, he sent her to Paris to study for two years. Right. And she's glad to be back. And there's uh, all this talk of war in France. She says that the store feels like home. And he's discussing with her Delphine's book launching. Uh, she's, she's heard of her. And even in Paris. Even the, in Paris. The rumors oh, of she's her. very uh, prolific in the sack. <laughs> That's right. Even by Parisian standards, mm-hmm. they're like, oh my. <laughs> she's uh, a slut of a different color. <laughs> uh, and it turns out uh, Miss Revilius left to travel abroad and was then replaced by Mr. Thackeray. Right. So bad news for those of us who are on Team Marvilius. Yes. It appears that that is not to be. At least not. For the time, yeah, being. we don't know if she's coming back at all, but right. uh, yeah, she's, so you know, she's not dead or anything, yeah. 
But uh, Mr. Thackeray is head of fashion, and he comes in and very imperiously asks Agnes what art college she went to. She's like, oh, I, I learned on the job under Henri Leclerc, which she's like... With oh. my lower class accent. And uh, he's uh, very upset that she did not go to art college. Yeah, and he basically says this sort of thing never would have happened at Harrods, which is where he was. Right. And uh, she then runs into Igor, who's around for some reason. <laughs> right. The- the, the employees of the Palm Court really seem to have a lot of freedom to wander around Selfridges. Yeah, for narrative economy. <laughs> uh, anyway, it turns out Igor is actually Victor's cousin, Franco. Yes. Who she has met before. And so she's asking about Victor, and then Igor says they're having a party that night, and she should come, because the whole family wants to see her, and, you know, Victor would love to see her. And she's like, Fat Thomas does not want to see me, right. but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, she does She does the San Francisco no, which apparently doesn't work in London. No, no. She's like, oh, I, I'll see if I can, I'll see if too I much, can. Too much honor. Yeah. Then who should arrive at Selfridges but uh, Mustache. <gasps> mustache! That's right. I'm so glad Mustache is back. I am too. I was desperately worried <laughs> yeah. that Mustache would not return. Even though there's almost less justification for bringing him back than any other character, yeah. like narratively speaking. But he's there. Kitty greets him and uh, they kind of flirt a little bit. As they had done previously. Which I'm ple- I I really, I enjoyed them together. And yeah. uh, I'm very happy about this. Miss mm-hmm. Martle goes up to Mr. Grove's office uh, with the telegram in hand. His office is a mess. Yeah, there's like files piled everywhere. Like, he, it's crazy. Uh, he reveals that he has three children under five running around at home from the apparently very fertile uh, <laughs> Doris. Yeah. And basically she says she needs to go and leave because her brother is dying in Geneva. Right. And, you know, they have, it's, it's a very cordial, you yeah. know, it there's, clearly there's not really any things tension. can never really be comfortable between them now. Right. But he's like, oh, you know, of course you must take leave, you know, get out of here. We'll, we'll sort everything out. Yeah. They've clearly, you know, they've had to work together these last five years. Yeah. They're, they've figured it out. Uh, in Mr. Selfridge's office, Plunkett says that there is a reporter here to see Harry. Uh, he says he's seen it, he's done enough interviews, but it's mustache and he put barges on in. And Selfridge is like, oh, okay, it's you, mustache, whatever your real name is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> come on in. <laughs> Frank. Frank, yes. They discuss a little bit. Uh, he apologizes for that play, and Harry says, "No, no, I was fair game. It's it's all it's all fine now." They shake hands. He asks after the novel that Mustache had gone to America to write, uh, and apparently he wrote it, and nobody bought it, and now he's back freelancing. <laughs> right. Uh, so. Selfridge says that he will give him five minutes for an interview and pulls out his watch because he means five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Agnes is leaving the store. Uh, George greets her as she comes out and he says that she looks like a proper lady and he can't get over it. And then he basically forces her to go to the party at Fat Thomas's house. Indeed. Uh, back at the Selfridge's house, it's Gordon. <gasps> Gordon? Wait. Gordon? 
It's new Gordon. It's it's new Gordon. Yeah. It's it's a new and improved Gordon. Yeah, we hate this version of Gordon significantly less than we hated previous Gordon. Yes. He appears to have aged about 20 years. <laughs> he does look like he's in his 30s. <laughs> he, he does. So he's a brand new Gordon. With a British accent, which With, is yeah, great. That is great. And, and yeah, because he has apparently been going to school in in England this whole time, mm-hmm. uh, Rose asks, understandably, what they've been feeding him at that school and so forth. And apparently, he has come to the decision that he is not going to be going back to school at the next term. Uh, he wants to start working at the store. Harry thinks that this is a good plan. He says that when he was Gordon's age, he was already working and that the store is going to be Gordon's one day and he should he should get into it. Rose is not at all pleased with this plan. Yeah, she says it that uh she says that New Gordon needs to find his own path and New Gordon insists that that is what he is doing. Right. Uh it seems like a pretty solid case to me. Yeah. I mean, look, he's going to inherit the store regardless. Right. I mean, I think, you know, we can't all be fucking painters, Rose. <laughs> But what if we were? The world would be such a beautiful place. That's what eyeliner thought. We'd all starve to death. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Rose is also unhappy because they had worked this plan out between the two of them and kind of sprung it on her. Well, I mean, also, like, you're not living with them. Like, I agree. She can decide what the girls do. Yeah. But. The yeah. family is clearly broken down on gender lines, and, uh, you know, she made her bed, and now she has to lie in it. Right. With Harry. <laughs> uh, Agnes and George arrive at the fabled party hosted by Uncle Joe. You know Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe? Come on. Your old friend? No. Uh, yeah. Uncle Joe remembers them. Uh, well, he remembers George, but yes. Agnes has apparently changed so drastically. Right. Which... Spoiler alert, she has not. <laughs> she has not at all. But what I do like here is that apparently, like, Agnes was still seeing Victor. Right. Like. As of two years ago when she left to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, had a relationship with his family. And I find that much more interesting than any interact. Like, them having had a relationship, so much more interesting than them having a relationship. Absolutely. Although... Fat Thomas's current status is very unclear. Yeah, to me. because he has a girlfriend, Gabriella, right, who, who he's with, right, and who has a baby. Like she's, I well, think she might have just been holding. She some, might. You're right. Look, good point. It's an Italian, Italian party. Yeah. Life is beautiful. I'm have a baby. A <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but Take yeah, my bambino, please. <laughs> So he seems to be with this Gabriella. Uncle Joe seems to think that they're together. No, they are together. I thought he was pretty clear about that. I thought he was pretty clear about that too, but then later developments seem... Like, Victor seems to act like he's still on the market. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's more the second hour. Well, we're not talking about that. Well, then fine. Good. I find it all very confusing, but... No, he's with Gabriella. All right, okay. It's not confusing at all. Fine. You're wrong. I'm wrong. Kelly's right. Yeah. There you go. That's what we should have called this podcast. <laughs> I vetoed that name repeatedly. I know. I'm still, I stand by it. We should have called it that. Um, so when Agnes sees Fat Thomas with Gabriella, she's like, you know what? I'm very tired all of a sudden and tries to bounce. 
But Fat Thomas kind of catches up with her at the doorway and is like, oh, you look nice. And she's like, oh, you you look nice. And they're both like, oh, I guess we're both very happy not being together. I guess we both made the right choice, huh? Yeah, I guess we did, huh? And then they, they leave, and it's kind of tense. But in, in an enjoyable way. Yeah, no, I mean, I again, I like them being mad at each other. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah, it was good. Uh, the following morning, Gordon, new Gordon. Right. God, I hope old Gordon never shows up. <laughs> it seems unlikely at this point. Who knows? Who knows? They might have a TARDIS at Selfridges. <laughs> Gordon's leaning out of a car window uh, and gets out at the store and finds out that he will be starting work in the loading bay. Whoa. Uh, bottom up, as is the Selfridge way. That's right. Under George Teller, who is the internal distribution manager now. Right. And... Well, I guess I don't, I mean, I don't have a huge problem with it, but George Towler, like, he could just be still working on the loading dock and being a good, efficient employee and all that sort of thing. Like, he never seemed like management material. Uh, maybe he just hadn't been given a chance because he was mired in an abusive relationship with his father. That's, that's certainly possible, and I guess that what's, that's what they're going with, but. Look, here's the thing. He was, like, set up, I thought, in the first half of last season as being like mildly like developmentally challenged. Well, exactly. But then by the time he started trying to date Kitty, that seemed to have gone away. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they just changed so, their mind about what they wanted to do with him. It's just yet another one of television's magical disappearing, uh, <laughs> uh, disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back at Loxley house, Lord Loxley is lounging around insolently. Lady May asks if he intend how long he intends to be staying, and he says, "Oh, for quite a while." He and then he says that he's going out. He is apparently going to the House of Lords, where he has not been in a very long time. I like how you can be a lord and just not show up ever to <laughs> <Right>. legislate. <laughs> I mean, I guess senators do that as well. Not. I mean, not to the same degree. Yeah. I mean, apparently they do. From my understanding, and our cousins can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that the Canadian Senate, like the House of Lords, is a lifetime appointment. It's not inherited, but it is for life. Mm -hmm. And so they have that issue, too, where a lot of senators just kind of don't show up for years at a time. Yeah. You know, if you're an actual senator, you have to show up at least in the year before you're reelected. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's Lord Loxley's plan. Apparently with the war, he thinks that you know, politics is suddenly going to be useful for him again. Mm -hmm. uh, Rose is walking through an alley, as she is wont to do. <laughs> uh, she enters Delphine's, which has a lot of rather saucy art on the walls. It does. I mean, we've had the implication that this is a house of, if not ill repute, uh, questionable repute. Right. Delphine shows her around at the club and gives her a drink. She says it's drinking time in Singapore. <laughs> so that's a good enough reason. <laughs> right. Rose says that Delphine is a very shrewd businesswoman. And Rose says that she used to run a business and uh, wants to have more fun. So I don't know how those two thoughts are related, but... Right. While she had fun running the business that she used to run in Chicago, it was uh, apparently providing housing for artists. Which doesn't seem like really a business. So like purse. boxes, <laughs> like cardboard boxes. Right. Um, but whatever it was, she liked it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Rose is in a lot of ways as impulsive and reckless as Harry is. Like, mm. I mean, she's made mm -hmm. this friendship very quickly. Yeah. With someone who is 
I would say, I don't know. It's hard to really compare the two, but I mean, with a worse reputation than Ellen Love, like right. showgirls, and then there's you know this, yeah, which it's not even clear what this is exactly, but it's well, you know, she's this woman who's written these you know sexual memoirs right. and is very much talked about and kind of scandalous. Yeah, yeah, and it's just weird to me. And, you know, and, and she immediately took up with Roddy Temple. Like, right. You know, she can't be quite as reckless as Harry, but she's not a great judge of character. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's not, you know, she's impulsive. Mm-hmm. You know, when she makes a decision, she goes with it. Yeah. And if it's, you know, in this case, it's Sophine and she's, she's taken a shine to, uh, Polly Walker, which is understandable. Oh, yeah. She, you know, resonates with an inner light. On the loading bay, George instructs various people to move various things upstairs, and they kind of complain about it. But not as much as Mr. Thackeray complains when these things are delivered into his department. Uh, they show him their authorization for moving all these boxes into his department. He gets all in a huff and goes off to Agnes, who had apparently signed these authorizations. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. And she says, oh, well, you know, you said you didn't really want to work with me. And, I, you know, that was fine. So I just did everything myself and made all the arrangements and had it delivered to your apartment because you didn't want to work with me. Mm-hmm. So suck on that, Thackeray. Yeah. And uh, he, he has no choice but to suck on it. Mm-hmm. At the Selfridge home, uh, Lady May has arrived to hang out with Rose. Mm-hmm. And Rose has heard that Lord Loxley is in town, and I assume Harry has told her about the scene right. that he caused at the store, and she offers some sympathy there. Lady May, you know, is more or less her usual self here. You, there's a little trace of melancholy. Right. But, you know, she basically is talking about it with Rose and saying, you know, my marriage is an exercise in management, uh, which is perfectly acceptable because I don't love my husband. Uh, she says she imagines it's much more complicated if you do, mm-hmm. which is just a little bit of a dig. Just a little. I don't think, <laughs> I hope she didn't take my attempts <laughs> to destroy her too seriously. <laughs> Back at Selfridges, Agnes is standing on top of a ladder arranging, uh, the matches. Displ- yeah. <laughs> the display that she has set up, which is all blocked off by, uh, screens. Screens. Thank you. Kitty and Victor and Igor are all watching her do it. At first, I thought that Kitty said that she had put the kettle under the pigeons, but I eventually decided that she may have said that she put the cat among the pigeons. She did say that uh, she is not steaming pigeons currently. <laughs> well, either way, I think the pigeons would be very upset. <laughs> right? <laughs> the pigeons, in this case, being Thackeray, who Agnes again tells to, you know, fuck off in polite uh, passive aggressive businessy way. Mr. Selfridge has shown up at his own house, which <laughs> I guess is fine. It jarred me. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind telling you. Uh, he invites her to Delphine's reading and she says that she doesn't want to hear about Delphine Day droning on about her lovers. That does not sound like a jolly morning to her. <laughs> uh, Rose takes her passive aggressive offense and she's like oh i didn't realize that you were friends well 
And so then Rose like takes off and she just says that she likes spending time with Delphine. And you, she's like, I'm sure you two have things to discuss. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, Lady May kind of has been right about everything that she's told her. So. Right. And again, as we were saying about Rose, now that Rose has made her decision, she is not going to listen to any criticism no, of Delphine. At she this is point. not. Anyway. Lady May apologizes for Lord Loxley and Mr. Selfridge offers to help her. And she's just like, no, you know, I got this. It's my marriage. It's my problem. Like, don't worry about it. Right. Uh, Agnes is raising a chandelier that is a centerpiece of her display and then drops it and it breaks and glasses everywhere. And of course, Fat Thomas is there as why wouldn't he be? Mm-hmm. as he has no other job uh and offers to help but she doesn't need his help maybe he can go help gabriella with something mm-hmm. you know she doesn't say that but that's what she means uh and then we see uh there's a, a at a later time as she has finished it up we see agnes sort of backing away admiringly looking at her own display and running into thackeray who has the clothes that delphine will be wearing for the reading yeah because they had established that earlier that yeah. she was going to need you know an outfit for her basically right, right. The two new girls whose names we never get. Right. Which we would like that as people that do a podcast. Yeah. That would really so, help us out. You know, the brunette one with unfortunate hair and then the round blonde one are talking about Delphine and then Kitty scolds them. Delphine then arrives. And she answers, like, one journalist asks her one question. He's like, what do you think about, what do you expect people to get from this reading or something like that? And she's like, I hope people enjoy it. And he's like, well, that's all I need for my article. I'm <laughs> off. <laughs> that guy got fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she wants to do some shopping. Presumably she gets to like, you know, do the whole being a friend of Selfridge's thing. One would so. think, yeah. That's where Kitty shows her that whole thing with the fragrance. <gasps> right, right, right. I just knew you had enjoyed that as a retail Oh yeah, because she had uh, she told her all the notes. Right. She said that I think there was cardamom in it. I think so. Uh, no, because I mean that's when I worked at Crabtree and Evelyn. You had to know all of the fragrance notes. Mm-hmm. And, like I don't. People kind of cared. <laughs> we cared a lot. Right. <laughs> uh, Selfridge and Crab are in the elevator. Crab is worried about they didn't get enough publicity. They couldn't get it into the previous evening or something like that. Uh, papers. Uh, but then they get out of the elevator and. Psh, the crowd is buzzing. People have showed up. Yeah, it's Fifty Shades of Selfridge. <laughs> it is. Of course all these biddies showed up. <laughs> so yes, uh, Selfridge is uh, proud of how the display looks, and Thackeray is very, like... Snitty. Snitty about it. He said, Well, and he bitches to Victor about it. Uh, which was the wrong person to bitch to as he's still apparently carrying a bit of a torch for Agnes. Just not to her face. Right. Which is not a good place to put a torch, <laughs> no, incidentally. That's true. So he congratulates Agnes and then Selfridge uh, kicks off the proceedings and says, hey everybody, here's this hoe. She's going to read her book now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I sure hope that somebody introduces me at a stand-up show. <laughs> Uh, here's this hoe. She's going to tell some jokes or something. Well, maybe if they're introducing you reading uh, your erotic memoirs, that would be a more appropriate. Dare to dream. <laughs> uh, so Delphine begins reading her erotic memoirs to an audience that is enthralled and in some cases a little bit like flushed. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and, and 
I really enjoy this. No, I did too. I thought it was really well done. It really was. The, I mean, this was her audience. They came for this and they were, they loved it. This is exactly what no, they wanted. No, man, Nathaniel Hawthorne was the most, like, you know, scandalous thing anybody ever read on Downton Abbey. <laughs> right. And Nathaniel Hawthorne sucks, dude. Yeah, he's, he's terrible. awful. Yeah. If Even te- the Scarlet Letter is just fucking the worst yeah listen if your teacher tries to make you read nathaniel hawthorne you tell that teacher to shut up yeah <laughs> um <laughs> don't, you know do what? <laughs> don't do that you'll, you'll get in trouble you have but do it internally no, but like, I mean, honestly the scarlet letter for a book about extramarital sex it is like <laughs> the least sexy book ever it's true oh and that fucking kid is so annoying why would you name your daughter pearl i, I wouldn't I know. That's why I married you. <laughs> yes. He was like, will you marry me? And I was like, do you want to name our daughter Pearl? And he was like, hell no. And I was like, I'll do it. Yes. Uh, speaking of people who are confused by books, <laughs> Crabbe and Selfridge do not understand the appeal of Delphine's memoir. Uh, because I'm assuming that this is eyeliner's subtle way of informing us that neither Mr. Selfridge nor Mr. Crabbe have ever pleasured a woman. <laughs> I can only assume... Like, I, no, I think... Look, this is, I mean, that's the other thing, you know, when we're saying that this show, like, deals with the things that we're interested in. I mean, this is, I mean, it's very, you know, feminist. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just is. Mustache uh, stops by the store and he asks Kitty if she'll go to Delphine's. Although Kitty was kind of hinting. Right, right. And saying she'd love to go. And he is able to go to this party that is there uh, that evening uh, to celebrate the book. Mm-hmm. And so he's invited Kitty to uh, to go with him. Yeah. Uh, we see George and New Gordon kind of peeking in around a doorway at the reading. We see Mustache come in and greet Selfridge and Crab. He also has apparently not pledged a woman because he's yeah. also confused. The audience remains wrapped as Delphine finishes up her reading, uh, including both Rose and Agnes. Both in the audience, both loving this memoir just mm-hmm. as much as anyone else. Uh, and Delphine closes up the reading and there is uh, fervent applause. And then everybody breaks out for autographs. Delphine is being mobbed. Rose then thanks Mr. Selfridge and he says it would be a swell idea if they went to the cinema that night. Mm-hmm. But she uh, is sorry, not sorry, because <laughs> Delphine's having a party the party we just heard about. Right. And she's already agreed to go to the party and won't go to the cinema. Yeah. And she's like, sorry, I already have plans with Delphine every night for the next year. Yeah, <laughs> he's, uh, he thinks he's trying very hard. He, that's exactly he right. Really, he, he thinks he's trying very hard. He bought her champagne. <laughs> he opened it. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, at Loxley House... May is kind of sneaking around or, you know, eavesdropping on Loxley talking to some guy. Uh, and he apparently is interested in some kind of military procurement job. Uh, this some guy says that you can't just come swanning in and demanding a plum roll. However, Lord Loxley has a signed letter from such and such a guy trying to remember what his name was i almost want to say it was julian but it was some name like that um wouldn't that be hilarious it would be. if like eyeliner was like that'll really show old baron fellows until i'm baron eyeliner these subtle attacks will continue <laughs> <laughs> but in any case <laughs> this 
person who may be named Julian uh, is willing to testify in court that this guy took advantage of his innocence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by innocence, he means bunghole. <laughs> that's right. Yes, it's a it's a Morris situation, and the guy's like, "All right, fine, I'll see what I can do." But you know, things aren't the way they used to be. It's the merchant class that has all the power now. People like that, Mister Selfridge, who I hear you insulted in front of his entire staff. Yeah, good Boom. day, sir. Uh, as they have this conversation, Lady May is standing like three feet from them, and they don't see her. She's which is- wearing her invisibility cloak. <laughs> <laughs> she bought it at Selfridge's. <laughs> He was right to close her account. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Selfridge goes down to the loading dock to greet new Gordon, and he says that they're going out, but Ma's not coming. Uh, Mr. Selfridge then says something that makes me completely on Rose's side again. (laughs) Uh, He tells Gordon that he's decided he's getting this family back together. And I'm like, aren't your daughters like a hundred now? Like... (laughs) I know they're not a hundred, but, <laughs> but they're, they're in retirement house. I hear fathers are getting the family back together. <coughs> oh dear, Beatrice died. <laughs> Only to rise again. The spawn of the Dark Lord. Here's the main thing. It's my family now. <laughs> Our neighbors hate us so much right now. Uh, right now? <laughs> uh, I want to see these girls, man. Like, No, they, I do too. I just, I don't know why it didn't occur to me that in five years all the kids would look different. Like, I'm expecting <laughs> right. all the same. Well, I didn't, I guess I knew that it was going to be five years later, but I didn't really know. I knew at some point. Right. I should have known. We didn't really think about it, yeah. I guess. Anyway, I'm excited to see what's up. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like Rosalie was what, like 16, something, 15, 12? 16, I think, 16 or 17, because she was getting, okay. she was doing the season. Yeah, she ought to be getting married though, then, right? Like, yeah, technically. Anyway, yeah. well, I assume we'll deal with that when they get there because they are they're coming back for the season. Okay, is yeah. the deal? Like they're all at school, but then they come back. All right, in the summer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You Got know. It. And I'm like, yeah, you're getting this family back together because they're all going to come over here. Like, <laughs> right. shut up. You're still a family. <laughs> Haven't you ever watched a very special episode of anything? <laughs> that hasn't been invented yet, Anyway, Kelly. so he wants to get the family back together. And I'm like, you know, it's not a band, right? And besides, <laughs> it's really hard to get a band back together. Right. People always say that, but it's really hard. Yeah. Like, Getting anybody to go anywhere and be in the same room is very difficult. Yeah. The drummer's like, dude, I'm assistant manager now. I can't just go out on tour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at Delphine's, it's a party. Rose and Delphine are there. They're drinking. Uh, Mustache is dancing with Kitty. And they sit down and he addresses her as Miss Hawkins. And she's like, oh, I guess we can be first name terms now. And he's like, great. What's my name again? Frank? Frank. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's a, it's, it's a wild party. There's two women dancing together, both wearing men's suits or like men's-ish. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not really sure about the, you know, norms of the time and to exactly how scandalous that was. But, you know. It seems pretty scandalous. It seemed pretty scandalous. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this uh, was unusual. Right. 
Uh, they both get a glass of champagne. Kitty sips hers. Mustache pounds his. <laughs> like she and she's a bit uh, startled by that. And he then does the old arm on the back of the seat behind her deal. Uh, and she's describing dreams and excitement about what she wants from her career. And there's this uh, somebody in Paris. Uh, I forget how she describes it, but something about his perfumes, like they're all mm-hmm. different or something like yeah. that. But she's she's super into it. She's read about it, and she really wants to work for this guy. And he's saying, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh." So listen, you want to go back to my place and like do it or something? And she is like, "Whoa, she." No, I. This is where Kitty became my favorite character on the show uh-huh. because even Kitty. Even dumb, stupid <laughs> Kitty is like, oh, you thought just because I was a shop girl you could take advantage. And mm-hmm. then she bounces. She's yeah. gone. Yeah. And he's like, fuck. Yeah. And he's, you know, I mean, he's mustache. He's not great. He's at least somewhat, you know, he, he, he is at least chastened by it. No, I mean, well, because look, she called him on it. Yeah. That was exactly what he thought. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, shit, I... I I'm. I, I guess that was wrong. I'm freelancing, you know. right? It's like, listen, my life sucks. <laughs> I just assume anyone that would go out with me wants to bang, <laughs> right? Um. So yeah, that was really nice. And yeah, Kitty seems to be a much bigger character from what we've I'm seen a, so I'm far. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, it's a good, good much, thing. Much to our surprise, mm-hmm. even though she still has the perma raised eyebrows mm-hmm. thing going on, but she's she's working it. Yeah, the actress makes it work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not. I don't know. I don't know if she can play another character, but she's doing a great job with this one. Agreed. Rose and Delphine are talking and drinking. Rose has uh, comes out and says what she was hinting at before, which is that she thinks that she would like to invest in Delphine's club. Boo. Bad but idea. Delphine agrees. Rose, by the way, is drunk mm-hmm. and does a very nice job playing drunk. Yes. And then catches a glimpse across the room at Monsieur Leclerc <gasps> with a full-on hobo beard. Oh. Like, <laughs> it is. He's gone full hobo. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ladies, <laughs> we've seen some some previews of future ep- He's going to shave it. He is going to okay? shave it. We like, generally don't do... Sp- he's going to look better. Right. Okay. Because this is not... This did not stop me from sitting on the couch and flapping my hands and excited. Like, oh, I'm, sure. I'm still, oh, me, you guys. <laughs> Look, again, Down Abbey may have, you know, the dense plotting and the talking and the Maggie Smith, but <laughs> oh my God, they do not have someone as attractive as uh, Monsieur Leclerc. It's very true. Mr. Selfridge and New Gordon uh, walk up the alley to Delphine's, which seems like a great place to take a 15-year-old <laughs> child. Well, to be fair, he looks 33. <laughs> <laughs> Unluckily for everyone, they only card up to the age of 30. Uh, Mr. Selfridge leaves New Gordon outside in the alley, which seems uh, less safe to me than less... taking him somewhere where boobs might be. Uh, like, yeah. Boobs v. pickpocket. Like, <laughs> Edwardian pickpocket, like that's close like, enough to Victorian era pickpocket. Like, like, excuse me, opium fiend. Keep an eye on my fa- <laughs> keep an eye on my son. Uh, anyway, so as he goes inside, he bumps shoulders with Hobo Henri, right? And neither, neither of them, yeah. which that strains credulity. It does. Like, that's ridiculous. Less so with Mister Selfridge because the beard really does. No, but like he. 
and it's not even like him deli- like he doesn't even do a double take like right. he's just fucking yeah anyway yeah um so mr selford sees rose and delphine laughing with friends and then he's like ah you know this is really this is much more fun than any movie yeah also you're doing a hell of a job getting that family back together <laughs> right uh when i said my darndest i meant nothing so we see uh monsieur leclerc smoking in the alley and then he wanders off to wherever it is that hobos go <laughs> uh hobo alley <laughs> it's two alleys over <laughs> This is Whore Alley. <laughs> Hobo Alley. They look the same on the street side. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, so Mr. Selfridge comes out and says that Rose said not to wait. Uh, Rose made it very clear to you earlier that she was not going to the cinema. Right. Uh, so then they head on out and uh, they step on a newspaper that says Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. <gasps> what? Yeah. Old timey people didn't <laughs> know stuff. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I mean, God knows that it'd be nice if somebody could set something in this era without, you know, quite so forcefully foreshadowing World War One. But nobody can. It, it's clearly impossible. Here's what I will say, though. I think people would have been talking about it. And I think that well, for all that, the attitude of the people in the store was pretty blissfully ignorant. No, and, and that's actually, that's, that's true. I think that the actual sort of portrayal of the characters, it's just the sort of like stepping on the newspaper headline sort of thing. Yeah, that look, I'm talking and that's about. an eyeliner problem. Right. That, well, that's who I'm blaming. Good. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's episode one. Uh, we're happy. We are. We hope you're happy. We hope so, yes. This is, this is good stuff. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the time jump has worked well because, well, like, what else was that? You know, like, yeah, they'd sort of, they'd everybody's sort of initial status had been set out well enough. Yeah, and it's been interesting to see things develop. Yeah, or, you know how they've developed in our absence, and uh, you know, I like I like the Gordon thing. I mean, that gets full marks just for not being old Gordon. Right. Oh my god. That was that was easily our biggest problem with season one, and it's been fixed. Yeah. So. No, I'm very invested in new Gordon and what he's going to get up to. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so that was uh, Mr. Selfridge, series two, episode one. We'll be back next week with series two, episode two. Mm-hmm. Until next time. Up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs>